Tracy. So, a very good day to everybody. It's the 30th of November, 2011. A very, very nice, bright day. Uh, the sun is shining. I think we'll probably be at about 15 or 16 degrees. It's nice and bright. The definition on the mountain looks good. And after three or four days in the Basque Country where I've been absolutely frozen... Uh, I can say it's a delight to actually be back with some sunshine. So let's go to the other side of the mountain, travel about um, three quarters of an hour, and I should be able to make contact with Eric. And a very good day to you, Eric. How are you? I'm very well, Vince. And talking about the weather, it's absolutely beautiful down here in Albia. Super warm as well. Good. Which makes a change from recent weather. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, um, I've been basically, um, like everybody else, looking at this new guy who's coming in uh, to Manchester United, Ralph Rangnick. And I've got to be honest, I'd never heard of him before all this started. Um, now, is that my fault or is he sort of one of these people that obviously is pretty well known, uh, but not really so much in the British game? Yeah, I think you could put him in line with something like the lad at Leeds or Belsa. You know, nobody really heard, I haven't heard of Belsa until he went to Leeds and all of a sudden it comes out of the woodwork that Guardiola's a big friend, he's helped him, all the top players. And the same thing seems to have happened with this guy. So, uh, like you say, we don't get to know because it's things which seem to be kept quiet, really, don't we? I don't think the court publicity of these kind of people, but in the background they do a lot of work which obviously we don't find out about. You know, it's only when something like this happens that it's brought out that he had something to do with improving the Halang, you know, the, the, the young lad. And and, pre, and also Marnie at, uh, at Liverpool. Mm. Sarnie, should say. Yeah, Marnie. I was getting mixed <laughs> up in him and Sarnie. But, uh, yeah, he's had a lot to do with a lot of players improving them. And from all accounts, he's got quite a good name in the football world. But having said that, I've never heard of him. And he's never been in the Premier League before. That's probably why we've never heard of him. Well, it seems the Premier League takes precedent over everything around the world, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I feel a lot happier that you hadn't heard about him because, you know, I was thinking, uh, really, I, I, you'd expect to have heard something. But, I mean, um, what I'm reading now uh, is his um, appointment on an interim basis until the end of the season suggests United are ready to come to the party and adapt to modern football. And the most telling aspect of the former RB Leipzig boss uh, and his arrival being the two-year consultancy role he will take up following the 2021-22 campaign. Uh, reading on just a little bit more into the article that I'm taking this from, um, he's seen as an innovator who is known for his high-pressing philosophy and influence on some of German football's brightest minds, including the Chelsea boss, Thomas Tuchel, uh, and he could uh, potentially be set to oversee a long-term transformation of United um, after leaving his role as head of sports development at Russian side Lokomotiv Moscow. The question is always, what vision and philosophy do they want? This is the former Australian international David 
Zadnik, who I must, I must doubt I've never heard of him, previously a player <laughs> and colleague of Rangnick, um, they were talking with a, um, a company called Stats Perform with United 8th in the table and 12 points off the pace. If they want that type of football, then he's definitely the guy that can implement that on all levels, not just the first team. He can produce the right uh this right through the club and give us a real identity that's if they want that identity so uh that's the only question really and then uh, i also was reading from jürgen klopp who was saying everybody needs to watch out now because this guy is the business and so if you've got both thomas tuchel and um jürgen klopp telling us he's a good guy then i think obviously he is a well-respected coach um, because this pressing game, I have to say, you see, I thought really we were all copying uh, Pep Guardiola. Now, uh, who is the first, who's the innovator of this type of game? Uh, any ideas on that one? Well, like you say, this guy is supposed to be the one that you, where you've got to get the ball back within uh, 10 seconds or something like that. Uh, that's how it all come about, this pressing game up front. Uh, whether he did start it or not, I don't know, because all of a sudden now he is. I mean, you reckon that Belser at Leeds, you know, was a very uh, intelligent coach in South America, but we don't hear about things like this, what goes on there, until they come into, say, the Premier League, and then people start talking about what they've done uh, as before, nobody has mentioned them. So, in my opinion, he could be the first guy to start it. To be able to implement it is a different thing, though, isn't it? You know, we, <laughs> you can have the idea of it, but you've got to get the players to be able to buy into the system. Whether Manchester United have got the players who would buy into that system, from what I can see of Man United so far this year, uh, people like Ronaldo are not going to run around and try and win the ball back. They kind of think, I'm up front, and my job is to score goals. And that, that's what he feels his job is, which you can understand because... That's exactly what Aguero was like when he first, uh, when we first got Guardiola at City. Like, you know, he seems to be one of them, the least ones to accept the chasing around, and he was left out of the team because he wouldn't work hard. So, so we'll have to wait and see what happens. And if it's true what they say about the guy, will he have the courage to be able to drop these players? We'll have to wait and see. It's only recently now where Holly's gone. That United have dropped uh, Bruno Fernandes and also they left uh, Ronaldo out last week at Chelsea. So maybe this is on its way already that you're going to leave these star players out who are not prepared to work. And maybe that's what's going to happen. I don't know. Time will tell on that one. Well, we're on the re- we're on the same page with it because that's exactly what I was thinking. You, you know, when you look at uh, United's team, there are some players in it that immediately spring to mind. Ronaldo would be one. Pogba certainly would be another one. Uh, and these are the type of players who want everybody else to uh, run the socks off, but they don't do it mm. themselves. And you know, you can actually probably see even Rashford um, and. Um, you, Lingard and people like that. I mean, um, yes, they'll run to a certain extent, but you you can see that they don't have 
the same intensity that you see from your team um, and from Liverpool. You, you know, I, I think both Manchester City and Liverpool, um, the, the, the bar has been set very, very high in a different way. Now, I always thought the ticky-tacky football was uh, really the, the, you know, the, the close passing and, and um, not so much of the pressing game. So probably there is a slight difference between maybe even Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp in the way they play. I think, um, you know, you correct me when you feel that I'm saying something that you don't agree with, but for, for my way of looking at it, I see Manchester City's passing as an absolutely fundamental, basic thing to their game. Um, they don't seem to worry as much about the pressing game as, say, Liverpool do, where, you know, I felt that maybe that's why we burned out a little bit, you know, because obviously um, you really have to look at the toll it takes on the body. Uh, but you could see a seed change, for example, in the way that um, maybe Mane and certainly Salah played because they seem to always want to wait for the pass, whereas now they will do a bit of chasing, which they didn't seem to want to do at first. Uh, now, um, do you think there's a difference between the Spanish national side and um, and obviously Barcelona with the ticky-tacky game and then the German high-pressing game. Do, do you see that as a, a big difference between the two? Well, I've been looking at recently at the, at the Man City line-up from Liverpool and, and Chelsea because it, it looks very much as though it's going to be a bit of a three-horse race. And, uh, and I'm kind of studying them in my own silly way. And I've noticed one thing about Man City players. When they come into the side, they just look part of the side. You know, it might be somebody new just come in um, and you just slot into that position. Well, you know, a few weeks ago we, in, in the Carabao Cup, we played a back four of all young lads and watched them. And they're absolutely superb on the ball control and, and things like that. I mean, over the years I've looked at football and... We've seen all kinds of players, uh, rough ones and blinking, who get stuck in. And, and Man City players have got so much skill, it's unbelievable. Whether it's through the academy, the way they work them through all these youngsters now, and obviously a lot of youngsters all around the world, not just Man City youngsters, we've got the Chelsea lads who are all over the place, you know. Whereas you look at Liverpool, Liverpool don't have that many out on loan, do they? You know, Liverpool keep themselves to themselves. Not saying they don't do people out on loan, but from what I can gather, they do have a few, but not a lot. Like, well, it's just that, that many players now that they sign on, and they just move them on. But the point, what I'm trying to make is that the skill factor of all these players who come into the team, the hardest part, as you just said, mentioned before, about the chasing around. Some people haven't got that attitude to chase around because they think they're too big for that such as your Pogba's, maybe Ronaldo, I don't really know him, not as much as I've seen a Pogba. But, you know, they look as though all they're interested in is give me the ball and I'll sort this game out for us. Uh, whereas the youngsters coming through today all have this attitude where they've got to work hard to get in the team in the first place. And then when they get in the team, you've got to be able to hold on against certain class players. And I think that's a big thing between the top three teams at the moment and the rest of the league the skill factor of the players. Yeah. And I, I, over, over the years, I've looked at it and thought, you forget how skillful football is. And I was only thinking last night, I was watching a lower division game last night, Derby County and QPR. And it's, it's amazing the difference in skill when the ball comes to them, how, how they control it straight away. And 
last night you could see the difference in the divisions, in my opinion. You know, that they haven't got the same amount of skill, these lower divisions. And that, that, I think that's a, one of the key things when you get into the Premier League. Just because you work hard doesn't really count for everything. It counts for maybe 70%, but you have that 30% skill factor, which is very important, in my opinion. And uh, that's where a lot of teams who come up don't have that. They have a good work ethic, you know, from the division in the championship, which I was looking at last night. It was one of that game, actually. And uh, it, it just goes to show that football, we kind of accept the, the skill factor. And it, yeah, I, I was only thinking about it the other week, and I thought I'll have a good look at that. And you ever see Mahrez get the ball? The ball is pinned to him, and, it, and he, he kills it dead straight away at his feet. These players nowadays, is skillful, is fantastic. And it never gets mentioned that much because it seems to be acceptable these days. But in the old days, we never had that kind of skill. Admittedly, the ball's different, the boots are different, the grounds are definitely different. And uh, it's interesting to have a look at that next time you see a low division game on the, the skill facts for players. Well, funny enough, there was a game I saw, it was a cup tie uh, last week, I think it was. It was uh, Bolton Wanderers were playing Stockport County. And it was a really, really good game. And as you say, the skill factor was pretty, pretty good. Um, very, very exciting. Typical, you know, English FA Cup. It was a great, great game. Um, Stockport County, lower division, uh, put out Bolton. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, typical great results for that sort of uh, a tie. Going back just to something you said a few minutes ago, because I do think um, by the time you take the technology, the boots and the uh, and the ball and the grass that uh, people are playing on, um, you know, y- you've changed an awful lot of the way we had to play because obviously you, you often would have to sort of um, maybe still have guys trying to mark the lines for you like they did at the weekend with the snow, you know, and all this sort of stuff. So... There's that angle, which would mean that, yes, I think the skill factor has come on a lot. I would also say, certainly for England, um, you know, we didn't have specialist uh, PE teachers in England until, I think, the mid-70s. So, you know, probably now you've got probably many kids in school uh, who are also complemented by if they can get into an academy. And going back to Liverpool for a second, there's something you mentioned. I did notice a change that's happened with Liverpool, and I think this is down to the American owners. What they've been doing is the players they've had out on loan, they've almost uh, seemingly made the clubs come to a decision about whether they want to buy them. And... Then they seem to be bringing in very young lads through the academy. And I think this is a a bit of a sea change in the policy because, you know, if you've got your homegrown talent um, and obviously if they come from the city, then they're going to be a little bit more in favour of things that are, you know, either for Manchester or for, you know, Liverpool or whatever the team might be. Um, Yeah, very interesting points. Going back to... Uh, this new guy, um, Ralph uh, Rangnick, um, I'm reading what this um, uh, Australian who played with him, uh, he's very charismatic. He can be very firm, but with, the, uh, but with the players, I remember back then, he knew how to approach the individuals. With me, he was very clear, but it was just always the right type of conversations 
there was a period when I had a little bit of an injury and I wanted to get back quickly and my head wasn't focused and he knew he just had to put his arm around and just get me back on track. The conversation just brought me right back to where I needed to be. You hear a lot of reports about players and that kind of connection that he has with the players. But at the time, in terms of the business dealings and what he needs to do, he's very, very direct and he gets what he wants. So you can see even from this comment there that you've got shades of Tuchel and certainly shades of Klopp. Now, um, your manager, I don't really see him in the same sort of mode, if you like. I would, I would think that um, he is more Spanish ticky-tacky football. Well, they're, they're German managers, and obviously Pep's uh, Spanish, and they come from different backgrounds altogether. I mean, I've always thought over the years, when you play a German team, you know you're in for a tough game because nine times out of ten, the German teams give 100% and are fairly skillful and very knowledgeable about the game. And, and if you look to the Spanish side of it, they're always cream footballers, you know, know how to play football and not don't get stuck in as much as the Germans do. And, you know, that's a different quality of the, the countries or the leagues that they play in. And uh, that's how I see the difference between the German managers and, like say, the Spanish uh, managers. And, as you just said, Klopp and uh, Tuchel are the two players they've got with a German attitude, mindset as well. Whereas Pep, I think, for me, Pep is like a pure football manager. I, I, he said when he very first comes to City that he didn't coach tackling. And everybody kind of laughed at him as if to say that. But it's true, isn't it? Man City do, I can't say a really tough guy in City. Probably Fernandino is one of our toughest players. You know, as he has so he will give a kick when needed. I mean, I think all professional players can do that when they want to. But overall, the standard of the players in Manchester City is highly, very high with regards to skill content. Whereas, no disrespect to you lads at Liverpool, Liverpool seems to me, and same with Chelsea, whereby it's like 100%, you know, they've got to give everything 1% every week to keep going. Yes. Whereas they don't rely as much on the skill factor. I mean, even though everybody praises Salah as probably being one of the best players in the world, but he, he, he does work his socks off Salah. And he does, he looks as though he's, it's hard work for him. To me, it don't come as natural as you see footballers in the game today. You just seem to be natural footballers. Never seem to be in a rush. Always seem to have control of the ball. Always know where they're going with it. Whereas people like Salah, um, Manny's probably a bit more of a better footballer from what I can see out of the two of them. But the eye for a goal that Salah's got is uh, something you can't give a footballer, yeah. no matter how good a coach you are. Yeah. And therefore, I see a difference between. Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea, different things like that. Chelsea have a, a more required skill factor in their team as well. But to me, Liverpool look like a hard-working team. They always play well when they work hard. Yeah. And whenever they slip up Liverpool, you'll find that the, uh, the rate of work rate would not be as high. I don't know, because nowadays you've got facts and figures about every player, what they do in the game, probably how many times they blink and breathe in. I don't know. But you can imagine it now. Football is such a highly developed sport with 11 players in each team and all got to pull together. And it's a, In fact, I find it fascinating when I look at it now to what it used to be in the old days <laughs> when we used to have two full-backs, three midfield players and five forwards, as you would say, as yeah. we would say, 
in the old days. And, and we enjoyed it just as much then, by the way. But it's just a thing where you've got to, when you've lived on this planet for a long time and, and it's a different styles of football, which has happened when the Dutch team came into play with Cruyff. Cruyff, what's yeah. got to do with him, you know, and the Dutch team that year? Because that's where Pep Guardiola got all his ideas from. But, you know, from uh, Johan Cruyff, yeah. who was at Barcelona at the time when he was playing there. And so on and so forth. And everybody has been influenced by somebody. And like you say, to get pull the story all the way back round to the beginning, that's probably where these guys come from, who we're talking about. Yeah. I think um, as you're talking, certain things are springing into my mind. For example, you, you could almost imagine in the old days when, you know, a sub came on, you could almost imagine some of them putting a fag out and putting the beer down and coming on, you know. Um, yeah. But I think with with the managers and the way they are approaching everything, you can also see the way that, um, you know, it's almost like you can see the nationality. German, hardworking, always trying to do exactly what needs to be done, to, you know, to sort of tighten every bolt and everything. Whereas the Spanish, they get the job done. I mean, you only have to look at the buildings to see, you know, they, they really can construct fantastic buildings. Uh, but you, half the time, you think they weren't working, you know, with the fiestas and, um, you know, <laughs> long merianders that here, there and everywhere, little picnics on the way. Um, and it's almost like maybe Pep, Pep Guardiolo, Guardiolo gets uh, a little bit sort of, um, a little bit of that in him, you know, whereas... The Germans certainly are hard-working guys. OK, well, look, um, whatever it is, we're spending a lot of time on a club that neither you nor I are particularly uh, following, but we'll keep an eye on them because, obviously, we we do want to stay a little bit ahead of them, that's for sure. It's important to, to have a look at the style of playing the football of the different countries to get the idea of the way the managers think and the way they expect the players to play. When we come to talk about it, how will he be able to turn Manchester United round? Will they have the right mentality as, as the other countries have? You know, the other managers from other countries. So that, like you say, that's where we'll go back to that maybe in weeks to come. Well, it's quite funny, for example, if you look at Ronaldo, because... Uh... He's obviously got a huge work ethic. I mean, you don't get a body like he uh, can actually cart onto the pitch uh, without being particularly disciplined. And um, yet, you know, obviously we're talking about a 36-year-old uh, who basically uh, will not be as fast as he used to be. Um, so it's almost like people don't see still that he's got quite a good work ethic. I mean, he's always on the move and he's always looking for the spaces and he's always looking to be in the right place at the right time. So he certainly brought a few goals when nobody else was bringing them. Well, they had this part of playing football, the scoring goals, that goes without saying. And he's just got the magic touch, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, how it goes for the rest of the team, we don't know. You know, when somebody's been asked to run the cobblers off and you see somebody standing there, you know, it might be a different ball game, I don't know. That's where good managership comes in, how they can be able to get people to understand the way different players play different ways. Yeah. OK, well, now then, another uh, article I picked up today, you've probably seen this, semi-automated offside technology is going to be trialled at the FIFA, the FIFA Arab Cup, with a view to potentially using the system at next year's World Cup in Qatar. The FIFA chief refereeing officer, uh, uh, 
Pierre Dulgi Carlina said the trial um, at the tournament in Qatar, which starts tomorrow, will be the most important so far. The technology is designed to help officials make more accurate offside decisions. It works using between 10 and 12 cameras, which collects up to 29 data points for every player 50 times per second. If it spots a possible offside, a message is sent to the video assistant, uh, the VAR, of course, which makes the final decision. VAR has had a very positive impact in football and the number of major mistakes is reduced, but there are areas where it can be improved. Offside is one of them. We're aware that the process to check offsides can take longer and especially when it is very tight, you are also aware that the positioning of the lines may not be 100% accurate. For this reason, FIFA is developing a technology which could offer faster and more accurate answers. And that does sound like it's a step in the right direction, um, although the technology, you know, has created its own uh, problems at times. I think you are getting closer to better technology, um, although some of the um, offside decisions still have to be improved, which is why they're going to um, uh, trial this particular system. Is that good for you? Well, it's funny because offside is the most difficult one. Forget about VAR and all the technology they're bringing in. For a referee and a linesman, it's impossible to look at two places at the same time i.e. when the ball is being kicked, and i.e. where the player is stood. The linesman can't do it, and the referee can't do it. Now, whether all this technology can do it, it makes me wonder, because i just got the feeling it, 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 it's one of the difficult things where when somebody draws a line, I mean, we've seen so many lines drawn it, it's ridiculous. Personally, I've always preferred to go back to the original way of refereeing. It's going to make mistakes. Offside is going to be allowed... Some are not going to be allowed. So therefore, I'm not the best one to talk about the technology on this one. Because all they're doing now is new people at the top of the game making money out of football by bringing up all these ideas. The best idea that they've come up with up to now, for me, has been the goal line technology, which is absolutely brilliant. Because the minute the goal goes over the, over the line, the referee has a signal coming onto his watch on his arm and it said it's a goal, whether you can see it or not. And then when it goes back and it shows you by millimetres that the ball has gone over the line, that'd be impossible to judge by the normal eye, isn't it? And that, to me, is great. How they can ever start to work that onto technology, onto, onto uh, offside, has got me. Because, like you say, if he's got his tongue stuck out, it could be offside, because the line drawn will have his tongue. Yeah. On the line, I'm saying he was offside or not offside. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's very difficult, whichever way. Uh, I, I stand by the goal line technology. The rest, I think, at the end of the day, referees make just as many mistakes as they are making now, which, in my opinion, I would can, I think there was a, free, a penalty at weekend for Newcastle and Arsenal, which wasn't given. And they went to the other and straight away and scored Arsenal. And, it, you know, it, they didn't, they didn't review it, or they did review it, and he said it wasn't a penalty. It was ridiculous. It was, everybody knows it was a penalty. So it's just like a, somebody, difference being somebody up in a box somewhere making the decision to the man on the field who, mm. who should have the main decision, in my opinion. But I don't know. Well, I think. Technology, it's going to be heading. 
well, I always remember the um, discussions we've had about this in the past. Um, Eric, the, the thing that I really can't get my head around is you, you and I and others will be watching the game on the TV, wherever we are. And you clearly see somebody who is being manhandled. Now, just tell me if I've got this wrong, but I thought that if you lay a finger on somebody um, and hold them and do what you can see week in and week out, um, they're getting some of the, the shirt tugging right now at last, thank goodness. But I'm thinking of some of the actual physical tackling that I've seen where, you know, it's pretty obvious when everybody else can see it, you, you don't seem to get the referee to see it. And if you've got these VAR guys supposedly looking for it, um, it suggests to me that they don't look for it. They don't look for that at all. They only look for the offsides um, because um, it would appear that by the time the VAR gets back and we all go back to the, an incident that is pretty obvious for everybody to see, um, it becomes like this great big uh, dramatic event of the referee going to look at the screen and even after looking at the screen comes to a different decision that the rest of the world sees. <laughs> it, it's, it is yeah. a strange one, isn't it? Well, it was a perfect example last night. I was watching the QPR and the Derby and the, the Derby defender had both his arms round the uh, QPR forward for his corner. And he was holding him as if he was his girlfriend, you know, both arms wrapped <laughs> round him. And, and I thought, well, if he's not going to give that no chance, like, you know, it's so obvious. And I, I, the, the problem is what happens with television, we've got a perfect view of it. Whereas if you're down at ground level, being a, a referee, you can't see through people if you understand what I mean. Whereas we've got an over, overlooking thing where we can more or less see everything from the corner, whereas some referees can't see it. But that's where. VAR should come in because they can get the same picture as what we can see and therefore advise the referee to either go and have a look at it or to say he's made the wrong decision. But it was funny last night. I just saw so just both his arms wrapped wrap round him and it, you know, it's so funny. And how that was never given as a penalty, I'll never know. Exactly. That, that's the way it goes nowadays, isn't it? I think the problem is we're getting a bit used to it now because it's happening all the time. So therefore we don't have a go at it as much as we used to do. Well, I always you know. thought that was called rugby, you see. I mean, I, having played <laughs> both rugby and football, that's where I really can't find uh, any excuses. I mean, you know, my <laughs> eyes tell me that if somebody is putting both arms round and holding either the shirt or the, the hands together, that's a tackle. Yeah, this guy wasn't holding his shirt and then you turned his arm down. I thought he was going to give him a kiss on the neck. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so unbelievable. As I say, it just wasn't spotted, but I don't know. Well, we I, did, um... open, I mean, I don't know about you, when Liverpool score a goal, every time City scores, say, let's just hang on a minute, you know. And it, mm. I think we got an early goal at weekend, which was disallowed for offside, but you're excited and you think you've scored and then you're not scoring. It's just knocking... The, the, the skill, not the skill, the heart out of the game, you know, yeah. where you enjoy it all. No, I agree. And, I agree and with you. And you offside, you know, it's, a, it's very disappointing. I'm, I have a friend who's a season ticket at Old Trafford, and he said he stopped celebrating goals now because they look as if to find any, any, any excuse to disallow the goal, which is not a good way of looking at it, no. in my opinion. No. should try and get the benefit of getting a goal because that's the important part of football, scoring goals. Yeah. OK, um, there's a UEFA charter uh, to provide more education for concussion. 
Um, I think this is probably not a bad thing, but they want all the players and the officials um, to know more about concussions. So they're obviously going to have probably a lot more seminars with medical staff coming in. And uh, basically, I think probably they need to explain to the players a little bit more about it, because like everybody else, I've got a fair idea, but um, more knowledge would always be a good thing anyway. Um, Would you agree with that? Yeah, you can't argue about that. I mean, it's a very difficult one, concussion, isn't it? It's only the person who's had the problem who knows what, how it goes on. A lot of them, more often than not, most players want to stay on the pitch and you just need somebody higher up say, Dr. No, I'm sorry, but you've got to come off. And you've got to respect it. That's why the doctors, they make them decisions. But you yourself, nine times out of ten, you want to stay on and play. That seems so natural, you know, because yeah. of being a, a competitor, you know, being a sportsman. Yeah. Most people prefer to stay on. But you just need somebody above them to, I'm sorry, you've got to come off. And it's and the more you can find out about it, as you just said, the more important it is for everybody all around. Yeah. Not not for the kids coming through as well. You know, all these young humans who are learning the game. And at the moment now, in the old days, we've, we had the, where, well, as I say, remember, how many times we've seen people with a come back on with red bandage top? Remember, <laughs> yes. Here, like Paul Ince and, and, and the Gasco and all that lot. They've all big wrap round the top of it, and all the one the Tony Adams had it, yeah. who had blood all down his. So Terry Butcher, who had blood all down his. You know, but they they was allowed to carry on, yeah. and I believe that there would have been concussion there somewhere along the way but in the old days nobody seemed to bother about it oh you'll be all right let's get back on there yeah well that's that's the difference between today's modern blum and snowflakes brigade and and, you know uh, i mean they were a lot harder in in the days i think technically probably better players these days but certainly not harder um okay and that's progress isn't it yeah come on let's be fair (laughs) everybody's health is important and just because of the football doesn't mean any less important than somebody going to a hospital for x-rays and finding out what's up with them kind just that they they are a bit molly cuddled today but because of the money involved that's why they molly coloured you know we don't to get injured and blinking well, the other game for a long time you know. I, picked, I picked up a Spanish game on the uh, TV the other night and it was really weird because um, they needed to bring somebody on very quickly and you know with it being a cold night nobody had been <laughs> running and stretching so there was nobody that could come on straight away which was t- to me really quite strange but anyway I don't know if you saw it there was a, a Norwegian First division, I think it was, team, and apparently uh, the goalkeeper looked like, and one of the players had a bit of a, an argument. So one, the, the the outfield player turned round and sort of spun round on the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper sort of fell to the floor as if he'd just been fouled. You know, they, they must be trained to do this. You know, just being fouled by his own player really, really did look stupid. Um, Messi, Ballon d'Or, okay, I don't think we'll go too deeply into that. I'll tell you why, because we've got stacks to talk about. So let's go to the um, the weekend's football. Arsenal 2, Newcastle 0. We both saw that one come in. So um, I think uh, apart from the incident that you mentioned, uh, which was not picked up, I think it looked like still work in progress for both teams. But um, Newcastle, lots to do for Eddie Howe. Big game tonight. They play Norwich tonight, so uh, we'll wait and see what happens on that one. But they've got to win tonight. It's uh, important to win tonight. The only team 
who's not won a game so far this season. So uh, okay, well look, we'll, give us it's a big game. Give us a give us a prediction on that one because I can do this at the same time. Well, Norwich, uh, they've played three games now and they've not been beaten in the last three games. Two with the new manager, and one with the old manager, and uh, it's. Uh, it's a difficult one. A lot depends if the supporters really get behind Newcastle. And it's just defensively at the moment. You've not had a chance to work the defence out. The only good thing I can say is it's easy to sort a defence out and sort a forward line out. And Newcastle scoring goals, I don't think, has been a big problem for them. So it's just a matter of tightening things up at the back. And I think they could get results from that. It's going to be a tight game. I think I'd go one on. Newcastle. Okay, I've gone 2 2, so uh, we see it differently, so that makes it always a bit more interesting. Um, Liverpool played Southampton. Um, I thought it would be a little closer, uh, but we both got that one right. Um, Liverpool did look good, actually. I've got to say, um, when they play like that, it's a joy to behold. Um, Southampton, as you've pointed out many times, they do uh, play for each other. But I didn't think they were that uh, cohesive on Saturday. What did you think? Well, the key thing to use that game on Saturday was the early goal for Liverpool. It's important when you play teams at the lower end of the table that you get an early goal against them because it throws everything out, out the window. It means then they've got to come out and play. And basically, that's what happened because I think they were about three and up after about 20 minutes there, yes. Liverpool. So. All they had to do was fulfil the picture then, Southampton, from what I could see, rather than, you know, a team coming there hanging on for the draw, as we've seen many times in the past. They find it difficult to break down a strong defence. But the early goals make all the difference, and Liverpool got them, and it's good night nurse for me when Southampton started to play, come out and set Liverpool on. Yeah. OK, well then, uh, we went to uh, Norwich. Uh, they drew 0-0 with Wolves. You predicted a draw. I thought it'd be a 1-2, so I knew it'd be tight. Any thoughts on that one? It's just the fact that Norwich did play well. Of the two teams, they were slightly the better team. And at the moment, Wolves have been playing really well. So, fair play to Norwich. That might be a good omen for them tonight, going to Newcastle. The trouble is, as I just said earlier, Newcastle need to win tonight. But as far as I was concerned, a draw was probably a fair result. But of the two, Norwich edged the game. OK, we go next to... Uh, we go next to Crystal Palace, where it was always going to be a difficult game for both sides, I think. Um, but uh, Crystal Palace uh, had been on quite a good run. Anyway, it was uh, Palace 1, Aston Villa 2. We both saw it as a 2 all draw, so we knew it'd be tight, but I thought um, another good win for uh, Aston Villa. Well, they seem to turn the corner, don't they? Fair play. I know it's only a couple of games. But the goals have come uh, that were the week before, come late on that last 10 minutes. And on Saturday, he got one in the first half and it gave them so much to hang on to. And I thought that uh, did a good job, Aston Villa, on Saturday. Uh, Palestine, it, for some reason, they couldn't seem to get a goal on Saturday. They did score, but it was in about the 98th minute or something like that yeah. to make it 2 1. So uh, it was just one of them days where it didn't look as though Palace could get the ball in front of the net. Ben Teku, who's been doing well lately, didn't seem to be firing at weekend. So it snookered the Palace from what I can see. But uh, best team won at the, at the end of the day, Aston Villa 2-1. Yeah. 
OK, we go next to Brighton, where we both thought Brighton would win it. You thought it would be tight. I thought Brighton should have won it quite well. But in actual fact, Leeds did well. Um, they did get a point. They need that point. And uh, Brighton, um, they obviously would have done better and uh, got a little higher in the league had they got their three points. What did you make of that game? Well, Brighton should have won it. I mean, he had enough chances. I think he hit the bar and the post three times. He just one of them things. And then in the end, as usually happens, the away team just had a chance where they should have scored and probably pinched it one money. That's football for you, isn't it? You know, that, that's what I always say. You know, it, it's, the last minute things which happen in football is unbelievable these days. Free kicks, corners, and uh, I think they cleared it off the line, if I'm not mistaken, one of the Brighton players. But well, he could have easily lost it 1 0 after being the best team for ages. But as we've said many times, Brighton play good football, just can't get the ball in the back of the net. And somehow they've got to try and find somebody who's going to be able to do that for them at okay. the moment. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of nil nils about. OK, well, Brentford were playing Everton. You called this one at 1-0. Uh, it was a penalty. I thought it would be a draw. I thought it would be tighter than... Uh, well, yes, it was tight, really. 1-0, um, they weren't that, that sort of stretched. But uh, Everton, I don't know, there's something not quite right there at the moment, isn't there? All kinds of trouble for Everton. They're in deep water there, definitely. Uh... I know they've got a lot of injuries, but both teams have got to be able to get through injuries. And, and that's where we said, which everybody talks about, the depth of the squads and what positions you've got covered. I mean, because uh, Lewin, I call that Lewin is injured, really haven't got a centre-forward to come in and take over from him, you know. Whereas by, that's the key these days. If you lose, lose key players, you've got to have the right players to come in. Fortunately, uh, well, Everton, they're just struggling all around. I, I can't figure everything out whether it is the manager, you know, because I've got a feeling if they get a good idea off Liverpool during the week now, he could be gone by weekend. But I might be wrong. Mm. But in my opinion, you know, it's such a, a volatile system on the Merseyside. Those are for him and for those who's against him, you know, being manager of Everton, having been at Liverpool for so long. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and see. One non nil was a fair result. They couldn't complain about it, Everton. So it's all about. Well, it was a penalty. Beautifully taken, by the way. Don't you? So it was. Lovely he penalty. Walked, he just walked up to it and put it past the keeper. None of all this hop, skip and the jump stuff I've yeah. doing these days, you know. Yeah. So I thought it was a brilliant map. OK, we'll go to your team next, Man City. Uh, we both saw this one as a win and uh, they duly a applied 2-1. I, really, I, looking at the game, I did think it would uh, possibly even have been called off. But the ground staff uh, did quite a good job for you there. Um, what do you make of the game? I thought, like you said, I mean, the way the snow was coming down, it is incredible, certainly in the first half. And I thought if it carries on like that, there's a good chance of this being called off. Because once the lines get covered up again and the referee can't see or the linesman can't see, that's more when the officials come into play and say, oh, we've got to call it off regardless of the score. But overall, City were the better team. West Ham started off quite well, then we got into the game. Once we got 2 on up, I was quite confident there. And that goal, they scored a great goal in the last minute, West Ham, to give it a bit of respectability to the score. But overall, Man City once again turned out to be the best team against one of the top teams at the moment. Yeah. They've been doing really well, West Ham. But it's just not... You've got to remember at the moment, Man City are playing without De Bruyne. Uh, also, uh, 
our other midfielder fold in and we've got a third player out as well. And we've got really this is what I'm saying about the squads. We we someone like Kevin De Bruyne who had where become number four or five in the world number Balladol, that's right. He's not played now for a couple of weeks and set you still up there at top. Take your top players out of Liverpool and the top players out of the Chelsea. We'll see how good they do then. That's where the squad's come in. And City, fortunately, have got the strongest squad in the league for my money. Yeah. Um, Liverpool have had a lot of injuries, by the way. So, yeah, I, I, I felt exactly the same as you. It's, it's who comes in and how well they perform. Um, Leicester-Watford, strange game. Ranieri brought his team down. Lovely reception for him. He's a lovely, smiling, happy, wants the uh, wants everything to be nice. And uh, I thought that the game really should have been cancelled because, quite frankly, it made a farce of calling it the Premier League. Um, really, OK, Leicester needed the win. They ran out 4-2. Um, but it, for my money, I think you really are, you can't play good football like that. Well, it's difficult, but at the end of the day, you got to remember the players. The supporters have come in, paid the money, and other than the fact that they're winning again, you know, you can imagine them wanting to get it over with if possible because uh, nobody wants a fixture pile up this year, that's for sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's good to see Jamie Vardy back. I mean, he's he's been, uh, I won't so much to say missing, but he's not been showing up like he normally does, and Jamie Vardy's one of the top strikers in the Premier League. In fact, you could say, out of them all, he's the only one who's still on form, really, getting goals. Uh, yeah. Harry Kane's only got one goal so far this year. You know, all the top players who are supposed to be top strikers, he's probably the only one who's most consistent, and he's the oldest one at about 34, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But uh, he's come through the amateur game, and we all know, because we've all been on the playing field time, and it gives you a nice little... Uh, understanding of the game whereby you, you enjoy every minute of it while you can where there's a lot of people being brought up on linking beautiful pictures and all that and somebody like Jamie Vardy brilliant I'm dead chuffed that he's doing well yeah. and it's a good win anyway but having said that you've got to give the credit to uh, Watford they kept going and like you say bad conditions but they carried on 4-2 made it a reasonable game to watch OK, in one. Uh, Burnley Tottenham called off, which uh, was apparently not too good for a couple that were travelling. I think they came from the United States all the way to see the game. <laughs> so uh, let's hope that they can get a game in before they go back. Chelsea, Manchester United, strange game in some ways. Um, I think we both thought that Chelsea would win it. I thought that uh, Chelsea would win it comfortably. In actual fact, I thought the Manchester United goal was a bit of a gift. Um, but then Chelsea looked as if they were always likely to snatch an equaliser for my money. Um, did you feel the same? Yeah, I mean, they had enough chances to have won the game, Chelsea. But uh, like I say, at the moment, United have got Carrick in charge and maybe he's getting that little bit extra out of the players. And... Uh, and it'd be well, you're going for the draw at the end of the day when you think about it. But well, United, he won during the week in the Champions League 1 0. Then maybe he just made a bit of a difference. But what happens now when this new bloke comes in and Carrick gets discarded? It's a strange situation. How are they running the club, Manchester United? I, I can't figure it out. It's got my got me done any for, for, for stars. Well, Carrick looked more of a manager anyway. Um, and. Yes, but, 
he, he talks a lot of sense as well, doesn't he? He, he does. He, but where was he when he, when Matt Holly needed him? You know, that's what I can't understand. Well, I can't say too much because obviously it's speculation and it's all gone now. Mm. So let's move to the midweek fixtures. We've looked at Newcastle, Norwich, Leeds, Entertain, Crystal Palace. Have you got a score for me on that one? Well, it's another difficult game, isn't it? As you just said before, these games are coming thick and fast now. I've got a funny feeling it's going to be a cold night in Leeds and I've just got a feeling that it'd be a 1-0 for Leeds. OK, that's interesting. I thought that uh, Crystal Palace will shade it 1-0, so we only think there's a goal there. Um, Southampton at home to Leicester Tuesday. Uh, so we've got three games tonight. So um, Southampton don't seem to be as good at home as they are when they're on the road. So uh, where do you think this one will go? Uh, I'd have to go for a draw here. I just got mind you, funny enough, Leicester would have seen me put nine past them, wouldn't they? That year, I remember a few two years ago it is now. Yeah. And he won nine nil at Southampton. Incredible. I mean, I've just been talking about Vardy being on form. If he carries on the way he did at weekend, it could be another nine none. But personally, at this moment in time, I would go for a one all draw. Okay, and I've gone for Leicester winning it two one. Wolves, uh, first game Wednesday. Wolves, Burnley. How do you think that one will go? I've got a fancy Wolves there. I mean, he probably slips up getting only a draw at Norwich. But as I said, Norwich played well. And I've just got the feeling Wolves will be back to form today. Well, Burnley have been slowly but surely improving each week. We're not having a game at weekend. It might be a big help to them. But I'm still going for Wolves to win 1-0. Okay. Uh, we go to Watford next, and they are hosting Chelsea. Um, I think this is going to be a cracker, actually, and I put it down for a 2-3. Yeah, you might not be far away there, actually, because both teams play attacking football. What, Watford haven't got a defence. It's like a paper wall there at the back. I've just got the feeling that they'll plough straight through and merge Chelsea. But in the meantime, they've got good forwards, Watford. So 3 is not a bad score. I think I'll go a little bit lower than you and go 2-1 Chelsea. OK. West Aim are playing Brighton. Now, West Aim, they've shown some form recently, but Brighton are resilient. And I think this could be a 2-2 draw. Well, they got the 2-2 draw on, on field a few weeks ago, didn't they? So... It's not a difficult game uh, uh, to forecast because I'm not quite sure what's happened to West Ham with them losing the last two games. You certainly can't afford to lose this one or even drop it as a, a draw. I'm going to go that West Ham have got to win this game, so I'm going to for a West Ham win 1-0. OK, now we have the Merseyside derby. If Rafa Benitez can't get his team up for this one, like you said before, I've suspected that could be the outcome. I still think Liverpool will be a little bit too strong and I think it'll just be 1-2. I don't think it's going to be a runaway victory, but, um, you know, Rafa, you do need a win on this one, really. So what do you think? Well, I, I was listening to some a phone the other, other day about Everton and the, the fans are an, an happy bunch at the moment. They, they can't see what he's trying to do. He's lost all confidence in the supporters now. And if they get in fact, there's one supporter who phoned in said he can't go because he knows he's going to get a right good argument off Liverpool and he, he couldn't face it. So I think if they get a good argument off Liverpool, it could be the end of the day for Rafa. It'd be a shame, but he, he, 
he seems so pragmatic, doesn't he? We, I know they've had injuries, and every club in the in the Premier League has had injuries. You know, I could go through about six clubs straight away who's been injured of so many bad injuries. And therefore, that's where your squad comes in. And he's had enough time to work with them now, isn't it? It's not yeah. like he's not had time to get them organised. I mean, the most important thing you've got to do when you're a manager is get the defence organised, which he's quite good at. At Newcastle, he never... He, he was happy to lose the game 1-0 rather than get beat 4-0 by playing a, a decent attacking football. And I think at Everton, he's tried to change it down a little bit and found that he can't because he's not got the forwards to attack team. So I don't know. I, I fear for him. I just think this could be a real good idea for Everton. I hope not. They've got some good Evertonians. Who, you know, they are very knowledgeable supporters, you know, whether they Everton or Liverpool. You know, when it yeah. comes from Scalsland, it's kind of a... They like the football, they love the football and they're kind of married to the football clubs, these supporters. And you just feel feel a bit for them when you're going through bad times. Been there myself and done it, I know what it's like. So I'd just like to see them try and make bounce back, but I can't see it being against Liverpool. Score then, it's please. It's the old game, so ain't it? Yeah, score then, Eric. <laughs> oh, score, I think about 4 on Liverpool. OK. Uh, now, Aston Villa are hosting Manchester City. Manchester City, doesn't matter where they play, will always give you a cracking game. I think Aston Villa will slightly test you. I think it'll be Aston Villa 1, Manchester City 2. Well, it's a bad time to play Villa, being truthful, because they've turned the corner at this moment in time with a new manager. The confidence now must be flowing through the team and it's a bad time for us to play them. But having said that, You've got to rely on Man City being a, a stronger team and being able to get a result. I don't think it would be too far away with 2-1. I, I might even go as far as 3-1 myself, but okay. I still think it's a tough time to go to Villa. Tottenham at home to Brentford. Tottenham haven't had a game. So, uh, will Harry Kane turn up? Son will be doing his best. But I think Brentford could maybe get a draw here. I'm going to go 2-2. Well, they've got a slight advantage. We're not playing at weekend, uh, Tottenham, so they hopefully should be ready to go. Uh, I'm going to go for a Tottenham win 1-0. I'm not giving many goals away in these mid-weekends because I know it's going to be linking cold wherever you're playing. I don't care what, yeah. what you say. OK, Manchester United play Arsenal. I think Manchester United will shade this 2-1. Yeah, very tricky game this week. The, the new club won't be in charge. Apparently, he's waiting for a work permit to be able to take over them. So, it'll still be Carrick in charge. But I don't know, we, with them getting a draw, that must give them a bit of confidence with that draw at Chelsea. And maybe United could win. But I, I'm hoping that Arsenal turn up and they're not like they did at Anfield and not lay a glove on United. So, I'm going to go for a 2 all draw. OK. Now, we go to the weekend because, obviously, we've still got uh, seven minutes left. Can we manage to get him in? West Ham versus Chelsea. I can see this one being a 2-2. Big game, big game all the way around. I'll be as quick as possible. I'm going to go for the draw as well, one off. OK. Newcastle play Burnley. Now, these both of these clubs are used to playing in the cold. Uh, I think this will be another close game, and I'm going to go for another 2-2. Well, it depends on how these two teams go on during the week, doesn't it? And uh, I've got a feeling that if Newcastle have got a result during the week against Norwich, 
then it's imperative that they get a result this week against Burnley. So I'm going to go for a Newcastle win. 1-0, I guess. Like situation. OK. Wolves take on Liverpool. Uh, again, Wolves coming and going. Liverpool should be OK for uh, just the odd goal. So I'm going to go for 1-0 to Liverpool. It's going to be an interesting game as well. I say Wolves have been playing well at home, and uh, although early on they didn't get the results, but they play good football. This should be a good game. I'm going to go for it too, all. Okay. Uh, Southampton, are they playing Brighton? So it's a South Coast mm. derby, so to speak. Um, mm. I still have the feeling that Brighton could just shade this 2 3. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Brighton will shade this one uh, 2 0. <laughs> okay. Uh, Watford play Manchester City. I think you're going to have a, a difficult game, but you've always got more to offer. 1 3. So uh, uh, that would be my score. Watford 1, Man City 3. Yeah, as I mentioned early on, that Watford's defence is very poor. City should be able to dip the bread there. I mean, we've given them some real good ideas in the last few seasons when they've been up in the Premier League. We beat them 6 0 one year. And then we beat me in a cup final 6-0 one year as well. It seems to be a place where Man City seems to enjoy going. So I'm going to go for a 4-0 win for City. Probably a bit biased, but that's been blue eyes on. <laughs> OK, so we go to the Sunday games when Leeds are playing Brentford. Not, a, not an easy game for them. So I'm going to go for Brentford to win this one 1-2. Yeah, I've got a feeling that by weekend Leeds will have Bamford back. And I got a feeling the ailing user right back. I think he'll be back. And I've just got a feeling this will be one non for Leeds. Because Brentford, as we said, though, we were talking about something we don't know how they've gone on in the games during the week. If Brentford have lost at Tottenham during the week and then they lose again at Leeds, it'll put them right back into a relegation situation. So it's going to be very interesting. But I still think Leeds will have the players back by weekend. Not for the midweek game but by weekend I think you'll see Bamford back and Ailing and I've got a feeling they'll win 1-0 OK we're doing well we'll just about get these in as we go to the Sunday games again Manchester United play Crystal Palace I think Palace will be up for this one be a draw I think 2-2 two -two. Yeah I, I fancy United to win this one because if they're drawn during the week with Arsenal they'll be ready for uh, Palace so I'm going to United to win 2-0 Tottenham play Norwich. Uh, I think Tottenham should win this one. Um, strange 2-1 for me. Yeah, as I say, it's a, a difficult game. The two away games on the trot for Norwich, Newcastle and Tottenham. I've got a fancy Tottenham on Sunday. 2-0, I would go. OK, Aston Villa, they play Leicester. This is a Midlands derby, really, isn't it? So, mm. um, oof. Difficult one, because obviously Steven Gerrard used to play for the Leicester manager. So uh, this will be very interesting. However, I think this will be 2-2. Yeah, it should be an interesting game again, because uh, I think there'll definitely be goals in it. That's for sure. You know, that's not a bad idea, 2-2. I might go along with you on that one and agree with you. 2-2. Good. OK, and uh, the last of our games, Everton against Arsenal. Sorry, Everton, I don't like to I don't like to put you down for a big loss, but I think it'll be nil-four. 
Yeah, I think they won 6-2 there a couple of seasons ago, Arsenal, if I'm not mistaken. And I've got to agree with you. A lot depends if you can get some players back and a lot depends how, if you give up a good performance against Liverpool, might just change their attitude a bit, but I, I'm going to go 2 0 Arsenal. OK. All right, then. Well, look, we got through uh, nice and comfortably there because I, I thought when we had so many games to predict, uh, we might just have... Uh, I not, my, maybe I didn't allow enough time, but we, we did very, very well. Eric, that uh, brings us to the hour and uh, we've got some very interesting games to enjoy during the week. And then by the time we talk next week, we'll have a lot to discuss. Yeah, well, it's like, like you say, the games are coming thick and fast now, so... Uh going to be interesting as I said the other week the, the league starts last weekend because uh, there's no break now till um, March when the international break comes along so it's going to be bump 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 games all along the way and uh, I reckon that uh, the league is right at the start now one way one point behind Chelsea you're two points behind them let's play <laughs> All right, Eric. Well, you keep yourself nice and warm, and uh, well, yeah. mind you, we've got the sun today, so uh, enjoy the sunshine and look forward to chatting next week. Cheers, Vince. Take care, mate. Thanks, Eric.